0: Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. This is On the Ball on the United WeCast Network and I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can now read me on foxsports.com and the new Fox Sports app. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. This was a hard episode to get started on. I plan to talk about the Dallas Mavericks and the effects I've seen of the relationship their new head coach, Jason Kidd, has worked on forging with their top star, Luka Doncic, went by the boards after watching them get mollywopped at home by the Cleveland Cavaliers, one fourteen ninety six. I just didn't see enough evidence of what I had seen earlier this season, prompting me to want to talk about Jason's approach to convincing Luka to incorporate and lean on his teammates a little more, particularly Kristaps Porzingis. Chris P- Stapps hasn't made any huge strides thanks to the added involvement, but he has been more consistent. Still, the loss to the Cavs was their fifth in the last six games, so maybe this isn't exactly the time to talk about how the Mavs and Luka are discovering a better version of themselves with kids' assistance. I then thought about diving into the Portland Trailblazers situation, both in the front office with the ongoing investigation into GM Neil O'Shea and complaints about his workplace conduct and treatment of subordinates, as well as their early struggles on the court after a summer of speculation that Damian Lillard would ask to be traded elsewhere. I told you here at the time that not only would it be the wrong thing for him to do, but that I couldn't see him doing it because it would be completely out of character. Now, I didn't think their roster was as bad as their opening 3-5 record would suggest, especially since they had the toughest schedule combining opponents, back-to-backs, road games, etc. in the league uh, by far to start the season. When they ripped off consecutive wins against Toronto, Chicago, Philadelphia, and Denver, I thought my view was being validated. But since they've dropped three in a row to the Kings... Warriors, and Jazz. So again, I couldn't find the motivation to talk about why a Blazers revival could be around the corner. I do hope to discuss the Shea situation in depth at some point. For now, all I'll say is that I don't understand why the investigation has dragged on for a month. With each passing day, speculation that this is merely a leverage play by ownership to attempt to get out of Olshay's contract which was extended and enriched after the Blazers reached the 2019 Western Conference Finals gains validity. If there was clear evidence of wrongdoing it would not have been hard to uncover and based on the anonymous comments so far I've yet to hear anything that is beyond he spoke abrasively to me or he has a temper. I mean Good Lord, is that where we are now? Some of the best bosses I've had were abrasive or short-tempered at times. Certainly demanding. Hell, we all are those things at various times. If that's the bar for appropriate workplace behavior in a high-stakes, high-pressure business like professional sports, pretty much anyone is at risk of losing their job. Professional sports are not for the meek or the sensitive. And the sense I get is that someone had a vendetta or simply doesn't like Olshay, saw an opening, took it, and now the team, looking at ways to save money, sees this as an opportunity to get out of his contract. Because if the Blazers were really interested in A, keeping Olshay, and B, giving this year's team the best chance of reaching its potential, this would have been wrapped up weeks ago. Either that or the top-notch law firm the team hired to conduct their investigation ain't that top-notch. Or that top-notch law firm simply sees an opportunity to run up its bill. Skimping on a GM is short-sighted in my esp- estimation, especially in a small market. But maybe that's the difference between the late Paul Allen and his sister Jody Allen, who inherited the team after he died. Paul refused to treat or view the Blazers as a small market team. I'm not sure Jody has that sensibility. So when the Kings are paying their GM, Monty Morris, $650,000 a year, an owner might begin wondering why she's paying her GM more than three times that, especially if there are suspicions the team plateaued with that Western Conference appearance. But anybody who questions the job Olshay has done doesn't understand the challenge of having Portland as your NBA home or what he has actually accomplished. They've made the playoffs eight consecutive seasons in a row and counting. Olshay arrived the year before that stri- streak started. They went three times to the playoffs in the previous 10 years. They've gone past the first round three times in those eight consecutive years, which is a higher percentage than the times the Blazers got out of the first round in all the other postseasons in team history. I don't know if I'd say Olshay has overachieved, but he certainly achieved. Before I get to this episode's topic, and yes, there actually is one, I have to do a bit of housekeeping. In the last episode. I discussed a text I received that claimed someone had proposed to Lakers owner Jeannie Buss that LeBron take over as player-coach with Bill Lambeer coming in as essentially his whipcracker. I should have been clear that officially the collective bargaining agreement prohibits player-coaches because it's viewed as a means of salary cap circumvention. A listener called me out on not mentioning the illegality of becoming a player-coach and I should have. So, Technically, I'm not sure the Lakers could announce that LeBron is their player coach, unless the league would allow it as long as he was only compensated with his existing player contract. That's the reason that it was put in place in the first place, to prevent cap circumvention. Now, I've asked the league for clarification on that, and I'm waiting for a response. And... There's nothing to stop the Lakers from unofficially designating LeBron as their player coach, but that might rob him of the historic distinction that would be part of the impetus for him to do it. In discussing it in the last episode, I hope I expressed my pessimism that it could ever happen in enough ways that no one thought I actually thought it would, and that I was discussing it simply because I found it interesting to ponder the whys and why-nots. But onto the topic du jour, which is a look at the current top two teams in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns and Golden State Warriors, and which one is better built to come out of the West at the end of the season. I think it's safe to say that there's ample reason to think it's going to be one of them even though there are a few execs and scouts I talked to who still think the Utah Jazz will hit their stride at some point. I'm still of the mind that Donovan Mitchell is not quite at the level of a player who can lead a team to a conference title, and the Jazz have too many one-dimensional players, as in sharpshooters who can't defend on the perimeter or defensive players with limited offensive repertoires. I'm going to write about this piece, by the way, about the Warriors and the Suns from the perspective of execs and scouts from around the league for foxsports.com and the Fox Sports app this week, so look for it. I can tell you I've already had several of those conversations and I'm not gonna steal or preempt my own work by discussing their insights and views here, other than to say the majority clearly leaned a certain way. I don't know if truisms still hold in today's NBA the way they once did. You know, like defense wins championships and live by the three, die by the three. In the time I've covered the league, there were certain elements that all championship caliber teams shared. And those truisms held up for a long time. Chemistry mattered. Clear set roles and chain of command mattered. Collective playoff experience mattered. Teams had to build their ability to win the postseason through trials of fire. No one put together a team and won a title their first try. But over the last couple of decades, or 10, 15 years at least, every truism, truism has, if not been fully disproven, suffered a few exceptions or variations. The yeah buts. The Celtics in 08 and the Lakers two years ago won titles in the first season of an essentially overhauled roster. Defense is still vital, but the Lakers proved last year that it can't carry the day the way it once could. And as for threes, well, you can only live in today's game if you can make threes. There's no other way to put it. In looking at the Warriors and Suns, if we're just talking about who the better team right now is, or should I say who is playing the best right now, there's only one answer. The Golden State Warriors. They have the stingiest defense, the second-best offense, and they haven't just won 18 of their first 20 games for a league-leading record. They're back to smacking teams so hard in the first three-and-a-half quarters that Steph Curry and Draymond Green are getting the chance to sit back and chill when stars are normally on the floor attempting to grind out a win. They have won 14 games by 10 points or more. That's a league high. Their point differential is a whopping plus 13.7. No other team in the league is in double figures in that category. I believe the Suns are next at 7.3. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news, The question is, which team is better built for success in the postseason? And that is a far more interesting conversation because of one of those truisms that I do believe still applies more times than not. And that's postseason experience, collective and individual. Because the Suns have both over the Warriors, which evens the scales with the Warriors holding a few other stock advantages. One factor in weighing the respective ability of two teams in the playoffs is to answer which team has the best player. That would be the Warriors with Steph Curry. Chris Paul is clinging to his status as a top 30 player, and Devin Booker is either just inside the gate or just outside of it, but either way, he's not a clear-cut bona fide franchise-carrying star. I thought he might take a step forward this season after last year's playoff experience, dwindling effectiveness on his part, and ultimate disappointment in the postseason. And the numbers would suggest that he has come back a better player. I just haven't seen it the times I've tuned in. Uh, Maybe I've just missed it. His defensive rating, after all, has improved significantly since last year. And he was just named Western Conference Player of the Week for his three consecutive 30-point-plus games. Although scoring has never been a problem for Devin. Taking good shots, knowing when and how to look to score, and making an effort to stop the other team from scoring have been. In any case, he's not in Curry's category. No one on the Suns is. Point, Warriors. Then there's defensive versatility. The Warriors' secret sauce on defense is twofold. One, they can switch at every position, completely ruining the most popular play in the league, the pick and roll, and. They have their defensive quarterback on the back line, Draymond Green, where he can see everything and direct traffic. And Draymond might just be the best defensive quarterback in the league. As one GM said to me, Draymond does the thinking for all the guys who may have the ability to play defense, but not the understanding. The Suns have made their greatest strides on defense this year, moving up from ninth last year to third this year so far. Some of that is the benefit of continuity. Four of their five starters have played all 20 games, and the fifth, DeAndre Ayton, has played in 14, JaVale McGee starting and filling in for him in the other six. The addition of defensive-minded players like Alfred Payton and Abdel Nader hasn't hurt either. But Chris Paul is their defensive quarterback. He's tough, but he has to operate from out front, unlike Draymond. It's nice to have a spearhead for your defense, but he can't organize what's going on behind him. Point Warriors. Then there's the offense. There's a lot I like about the Suns at that end of the floor. Two great mid-range scorers and Paul and Booker, which is vital in the playoffs. The efficiency around the rim and the ability to make a jumper or an array of jump hooks by DeAndre Ayton. The fact that they have the size of Ayton and the toughness of Jay Crowder, and yet they can play at a very fast tempo. Have to find a way to mention Mikhail Bridges. I love his game. I love his versatility. He can defend. He can knock down a three. He's a smart, smart player. He's a great complementary player. Cam Johnson, put in the same category. Not quite the athlete Bridges is, but also a very nice complementary piece. There's a reason why right now they have the best field goal percentage in the league. But they still are in the bottom five when it comes to three-point attempts, and they're shooting them a touch worse than they did a year ago. They are a ball-moving team that shares the ball as well as anyone, thanks in large part to Chris Paul and his 10 dimes a night, which is why they're fourth in team average assists and have six players averaging double-digit points, while the Warriors only have three. But... The Warriors are number one in the assists category and have more diversity there with Draymond averaging nearly eight assists, Curry averaging nearly seven, and Andre Iguodala averaging nearly four. It concerns me that Chris Paul is their primary playmaker while the Warriors have a little more range and diversity so that if Iguodala gets hurt they still have two others. If Curry gets hurt. They have, well, you don't know want Curry getting hurt. But still, pool, clay, we'll get to clay in a second. They have shooters, and they have playmakers, and they have more than one in each category. The Suns are a little bit thin. But I'm going to say overall, largely because of the presence of Ayton, I'm going to call on offense, point, Split. The Suns, however, do have one major advantage that could potentially trump all of the advantages the Warriors have proved to have so far in the regular season, and that's that the Suns, as constituted, have performed at this level or higher in the playoffs, all the way to the NBA Finals. Every player in their rotation knows what it's like to successfully execute his role in both a closeout game in a playoff series and in an elimination game. That is invaluable experience. They also have the sting of having come so close to the ultimate goal and coming away empty-handed. See what that did for the San Antonio Spurs a few years ago after losing to the Miami Heat. The Suns also have the salt of some discrediting last year's run as being somewhat lucky, getting the injury-ravaged Lakers in the first round, the injury-ravaged Nuggets in the second round, and the injury-ravaged Clippers in the conference finals. I've always thought they didn't deserve that asterisk or doubt about their abilities, but that hardly matters. They're out to prove their doubters wrong, and that can be a powerful tool as well. Warriors don't have any of that. They're coming off of a two year postseason vacation, which has its own benefits, but doesn't offer the same motivation factor. And as constituted, they're counting on some fairly significant players in their success so far, notably Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, who have practically no playoff experience. Wiggins played five games with the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is a far cry from the 20 or so necessary to win the conference, with the intensity and pressure rising with each round. Poole has never experienced a playoff game. Those two, along with Damian Lee, who also has never seen a playoff game, comprise three of the Warriors' five most heavily played players so far this season. If you ask any player after his first taste of playoff basketball, he would tell you, it is completely different from the regular season the energy the effort the attention to detail the mental drain all of it goes up a couple notches and it takes some acclimating to and usually it takes at least one turn through the mill before you're ready to play your best at that level the x-factor is clay thompson and what he's able to contribute by the time April rolls around. If he's any semblance of the old Clay and can give them a steady, say, 25 minutes a night in the playoffs, then the reliance on Poole and Lee in particular drops considerably and changes the equation of playoff inexperience. But we are a long way from knowing exactly what Clay is going to be after two years off and two major injuries. Keeping him healthy is going to be priority number one for the Warriors and I fully expect they are going to spoon feed him minutes, increasing them very gradually, sitting him down at any sign of soreness or weakness. That's why I don't consider it a fait accompli that the Warriors end up coming out of the West or even want to suggest definitively that they should be favored. They could do it, but I believe so could the Suns. And as of right now, the one thing is, I believe those are the only two teams who can. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We have a slate of interesting games coming up the Knicks at the Nets. The Warriors against the Suns, and the Lakers looking for revenge for that triple overtime loss to the Sacramento Kings. What will be the condition of LeBron James, who looked rather gimpy at the end of that win over the Pistons? Among all of those, I'm sure a topic will emerge. Haven't actually talked a whole lot about the Brooklyn Nets this season so far. This may be the time. In the meantime, As always, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.